0: I'm Catherine Spearing, host of Uncertain, a podcast that exists to challenge the church to do better. We do that by discussing the messier subjects related to the church. For season two, we're inviting some folks into the conversation who are gifted at promoting spaces for healing and challenging culture. These people are artists. As we continue to discuss these messier subjects, I thought it would be helpful to add their voices to these difficult topics. And I'd love to hear what you think. I'd also love to hear about any subjects you'd like to discuss in the podcast. You can contact me by visiting TearsOfEden.org. While you're there, consider hopping over to TearsOfEden.org support to make a donation towards the Uncertain Podcast and Tears of Eden, a nonprofit dedicated to building a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. Today's guest is Tyler Green.
1: The Old Testament stories are so helpful to a Christian storyteller because they are not these neat little Absolutely you know, conversion stories or going beyond that, like these neat little morality tales. And that, that tends to be the two camps that Christian storytelling falls into as a conversion story or a morality tale. And they can be they can be those, and those can be very good if they're done well, but they're also usually not done well.
0: We'll discuss Tyler's story arc as he goes from being a Ph.D. philosopher to becoming a comedian to becoming a screenwriter. We'll also discuss Christian art and all of its trappings. Here's my interview with Tyler Green.
1: By the way, I, I listened to the podcast you sent me that you did. It's phenomenal. You have a real gift. Like, the arts, the arts one. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for listening. You're, yeah, you're you're very but you're very good at it. Like, oh, I think thank
2: you so I, much. I've
1: listened to a lot of podcasts in my life and I thought you were saying some very insightful stuff that I never thought of even as a Christian artist. And so oh. I really appreciate it. Like I got a lot out of it. So
0: oh I've got to keep that part in the episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, please please do. That can be that can be the intro. Yeah. No, I thought I, 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 thought, it was phenomenal.
0: It. Uh, I thought it was phenomenal. Thank you so much. Yeah. This is a little the doing the artist thing, like literally. Almost every person except artists that I've talked to, when I tell them that I'm interviewing artists in this season, they're just kind of like, What? Like, what does that have to do with abuse in the church?" And I'm like, "It's gonna make sense. I promise."
1: <laughs> I, I thought your points were very well made about uh, trauma, being able to process trauma for the artist, and in doing so, it helps other people process their trauma mm-hmm. who have uh, taken. And then I thought also, um, I thought that was that was really exceptional um, because uh, I think beauty can do a lot of healing. And I think Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, I understand I've been through that. And I, I, I I think, well, I'll save it for the, but I was going to say, I think, uh, I think. (laughs) Go keep going. Keep going. One possible definition of is, uh, finding pain, Mm -hmm. finding beauty through pain. And that's like the artist's job. And I, and I think that that, you know, that's a great service that very few professions can provide. Um,
0: Absolutely. And then the
1: other thing I thought was really good is we're talking about the like the chain uh, of change that happens. And so sort of like policy is like the, one of the last things to change, but art is one of the first things to change. And I think we need all the links in the chain to be pulling correctly or whatever that mixed mm-hmm. metaphor is that I'm <laughs> but I think that, I mean... that that but I think that needs to happen. And I think you're right. I think artists can get there sort of first, make sense of it, and then yeah.
0: Yeah, and they are the instigators of the change, usually, usually they culture change. And then once the culture changes, that's when the law changes and the policy changes and to keep up with that. So they're at the beginning of that change. So I'll let you just kind of introduce yourself by sharing your creative origin story. How did you get to well, what do you do? And then how did you get to?
1: Okay Yeah, so my name is Tyler Green, and I am a screenwriter and I've worked in television and I'm starting to venture into movies. I've sold a TV show, worked on a couple of TV shows, and had a lot of lean time in, in between. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm still trying to like let the, the full artist traction... life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ready for the full traction to start at some point. Yeah, and then how did I get into this? So it's weird, I got in very late into art. I got in when I was 30 which is very late, at least in my thinking. And so, yeah, I yeah basically came up through college and started getting interested in theology. I, I loved writing papers, theological papers, position papers. I went to the University of South Carolina thinking I wanted to get a philosophy of religion degree so that then I could maybe teach at a university level sort of what I was kind of learning at seminary and sort of find a way to maybe make that more palatable for the the, the non-Christian world and say, you know, and, and to have like thoughtful discussions where we can disagree, but we can have more in depth. We can, I, I don't need to be preaching at you. We can talk about this. I sort of saw myself as an outside the church. I don't like the word evangelist in that sense, but like it's a, someone who was trying to take church thoughts and bring it outside the church but in a way that would be non-offensive or non-domineering. Um, it's interesting yeah.
0: that you saw that you needed to do philosophy in order to be able to present these things in a non-domineering non-domi- way and that that was how it was coming across to you. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah,
1: I, well, I won't mention the name of the seminary, but the seminary I went to was very theologically domineering mentality. Got it. Uh we're in a culture war. This is a fight, you know, we need to beat the unbeliever. Like it was very bad in their, <laughs> okay. the way that they framed what they were doing. And they only wanted preachers. So um so yeah. So I, I went as a bit of a fish out of water through seminary and then into studying for a PhD in philosophy. And I got there and I realized I don't have what it takes. <laughs> like I don't oh. have and that that was very hard, but I saw the real deal philosophers and I was like, oh, this is I'm I'm out of my I'm kidding myself.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: either because of that or sort of in conjunction with that, I had also been a very big fan of stand-up comedy. And so at the University of South Carolina, they had open mic comedy contests and things like that. And so I started trying out for that and I actually got more interested in joke writing than reading my dusty philosophy books that I was supposed to be reading. And I, I was like, Oh no, this is really bad because I am not even doing the homework that I want to be doing at the very beginning of a PhD. Like this isn't going to happen kind of thing. And so I, I started doing comedy around the university and it it went like exceptionally well, like right out of the gate, which I think is a rarer thing to find. So I just started doing as much comedy as I could. I found like open mics around the town and all this sort of stuff in the night at Thanksgiving. So I made it like half a semester. And then at Thanksgiving, I realized, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm failing my classes. And in fact, one of the classes that I was failing was one called symbolic logic, which is basically like super advanced math, which
2: I never had any
1: of that, but it was a required course and I was like failing it really bad. And. I had friends basically saying like, no, 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 just hire a tutor, like, you know, just really double down on this, find the people that are doing well in the class and like ask them for help. And, and I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to go this route. And so at Thanksgiving, I went home and I never went back and I dropped all my classes and I started doing stand-up comedy. Um, wow. I, th- I think it was like 23 years into school at that point. Wow. <laughs> you know, so, something crazy like that. I was 28 at the time but I was a grad school dropout. It's my second grad school, mind you. So like, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't get the things to be the philosophy person. And so I started doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> so I was a very late bloomer in that regard. Yeah, and then- What I, an arc. I, I, I know, it was very weird. And then I, I'm the only comedian to have graduated from my seminary as far as I understand. And uh, yeah, and so I started doing stand-up comedy, went home to Asheville, North Carolina. Did it a year just to make sure, like moved back in with my mom at 28 and was, was like, Hey, I just need to see if I'm crazy or if I'm throwing my life away. So my mom was surprisingly supportive, oddly enough. I just did it for a year, did hit as many mics as I could. I think I got up to some like crazy number of open mics that I was doing. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go to LA. I, like, i have just, wow. gonna, I've, ne- I've never been to California, packed up my Honda Civic, drove across the country and landed in LA. A year that I was here, maybe, yeah, it was about a year that I was here that I met my now wife at church and I proposed to her at a comedy show. And at that comedy show, she said yes. And oddly enough, my first agent was there in the audience. And you tend to stand out, even though I was the lowest name on the, the billing, you tend to stand out if you propose marriage at a comedy show. And two weeks prior, I'd had this idea and we started working together and that's the one I ended up selling. And then, yeah, just been sort of going from there. What an arc. It's, a, we- it's a weird journey. It's a, yeah, it, it is.
0: It's- it is. It is. I know. And I've, I've heard this story before too, but every time I hear it, I'm like, it is, it's just like, it's a weird <laughs> journey. Um, yeah. So then how would you describe your creative outlet now like what are you what are you working on what are you what do you enjoy working on maybe that's
2: yeah
1: so the place where I landed very odd to to round it out a little bit I then once I started getting into writing I realized I did these very like pithy one-liner dry humor kind of stuff very like Stephen Wright Mitch Hedberg Dimitri Martin kind of stuff and but I realized it didn't encapsulate my entire personality like it was it was definitely sort of a character I was playing, and. Then when I got into writing, I realized like, oh, you can actually show multifaceted parts of your personality. You can spread a little bit of your character through all of the characters in the show. So you might feel a little bit like this character, a little bit like that character. And they fight with each other, <laughs> you know, and they have conflicts. And <laughs> exactly. You know. But I loved that full orbness. And in fact, my, who was my fiance at the time, she read my first the thing that I wrote and she was like, oh, this is much more you. Like she liked my stand-up comedy, but she was like, this is, this feels like you. And so I started out in TV comedy, but I have now morphed into film drama, which is very Hmm. odd, which is, I think as I've like gone through my own, you know, introspection and healing, like we've, you know, we talked about like the, that has brought out more dramatic tones, which is kind of interesting because I've always been very, tried to be very jovial and then I realized like the more I looked inside I was like no there's some heavy stuff in there and like let's work through that and Mm. so yeah so now I my the project I'm currently working on is a feature film about Beethoven and about his struggle he had a very tough childhood and then he sort of rose to the he was a from sort of like a backwater town of Bonn and then moved to Vienna which was like the LA of his time kind of thing where he rose to prominence as the sort of greatest living composer and then right as he was starting to become the full thing that he thought he could become he started losing his hearing the very thing he needed to do you know and so he was almost using his success as a validation of his personality or his his life and then that was being taken away from him and people don't talk about this enough but he really wrestled with god like he was a very uh, he at least spoke of god A lot but so my story is about through the journey of all that loss and then in the end realizing like oh actually this this is actually fixing a lot of what was lacking in my life and then through that loss he finds joy and then he realizes oh i can actually write music without my hearing which is something Mm. he didn't think he could do and then he writes his masterpiece which is the night symphony it's about his path of sort of like wanting to find his own version of happiness, having that taken away from him only to find out that joy was replaced by it and mm. um, that you can have unhappiness and joy at the same time, but you can't have it the other way around.
0: Whoa. <laughs> Do you feel like your comedy still shows up in your writing?
1: I mean, I, I'm i currently working on two TV projects that are both comedies. So, so I, I like that I, I've retained that. Like I've not, I was a little worried I was, Jettisoning my comedy mm-hmm. for, but thankfully, like it's stuck around. But I tend to find that I le- I, I appreciate the tears over the laughter, mm-hmm. maybe is a way to put it. Um, I think that's more potent, but I think both are completely necessary. Right. Yeah.
0: I know when I that I'm remembering the one script of yours that I read, the St. Andrews one, and it's a very it's a very it's I mean I guess I don't know if you would describe it as dark comedy but yeah, that's, I think so, is, yeah. that's how you would describe it yeah because yeah. it's kind of like a maybe not quite quentin Tarantino team of no dark but <laughs> very yeah it was it's a very dark story but then humor is is used very intentionally throughout it
1: and not even he, as good oh i was just gonna say yeah and the character uh was not really uh trying to be funny Right. It's one of those where he just sort of like was funny despite himself.
0: Because he's so outlandish. Yeah. Yeah. Which can be so real life.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. There are I think if if you were to take an an objective look at all of our lives, you would laugh a lot. You know, absolutely. There might be other tragic moments, but there would be definite laughter. Like we sort of laugh at cats that, you know, my wife and I have two cats and we laugh at them all the time because they don't think they're being funny, but we think they're being hilarious. Right.
0: How do you, because you you mentioned this a little bit, how have you seen your art to be healing either for yourself or have you witnessed it for other people?
1: So without going into too much detail, I did have a very difficult relationship with my dad. This latest project has been really helpful because Beethoven's father was very similar in his abuse style to my dad which was much more emotional, critical, hypercritical. And, you know, he wasn't physically abusive, but he constantly sort of put his insecurities into Beethoven and made Beethoven question all of the decisions of his life, which, of course, really can mess up your internal compass of your direction. of You, you sort of second guess all of your decisions. And Beethoven was very much that, that kind of person. So that, that was extremely helpful. And I can just think back in the various times in my life where I have changed significantly and often it has been either concurrent or precipitated by art by good art I'll give you this the it sounds maybe silly now but at the time it was very profound to me was uh I was also kind of bullied in middle school middle school was a very tough time for me but it was when I discovered I discovered Green Day's second album which is called Kerplunk which is the one before like they sort of blew up And I just remember the style of songs and like the way he was thinking, because if you look back on it now, it's kind of a relatively juvenile album, maybe one could say, but he wrote it when he was very young. And I just remember thinking like, oh, here's someone putting all the ways that they're feeling and feeling misunderstood and feeling like they just don't fit in into words that I understand. Cause I was only, you know, what, like maybe 13 or something like that. 13, 14. He probably, I think he wrote it when he was like 16. So I was like, oh, this is someone who clearly gets me when I felt like no one else got me. And I remember that just being very profound. That, be- mm. that being very reassuring that like, oh, there are other people like me out there. It's just not anyone in the redneck town that I'm currently
0: living in. Right. So an artist was expressing their own journey and you resonated yeah. with that journey and that kept you from feeling as isolated as you were.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, 100%. I've definitely yeah. experienced that so often with yeah. mostly, mostly with writers like reading, reading, writing, and just being like, oh, yeah, <laughs> they're inside my mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's really it's awesome.
1: A, it's a real gift. Like it, I mean, I think everyone can sort of has a piece of art that they can point to that goes that that really made me feel known, or it really spoke to my situation, or I could really relate with that.
0: Yeah. Um, What are some ways that you feel like your faith shows up in your art?
1: That's actually a really good question. I'm going to rewind just a little bit. When I was at University of South Carolina, I attended RUF campus ministry and we had a really great campus leader or whatever they're called um, named Britton Wood. And he, I told him sort of my plan for wanting to become this sort of like outside the box philosophy professor that was sort of like bringing church ideas to the world, but not in a way that was hopefully judgmental or off-putting, but saying, hey, let's, you know, this is where these sort of discussions take place. Can we throw our hat in the ring too? I told him that plan thinking he'd go, oh, that's amazing. That's a really great because we, Mm -hmm. you know, we, and he goes, you know what? I think we have enough pastors and teachers. We need more entertainers. I remember that just like making my brain explode and I was like oh you mean so the thing that I actually want to do I can do because I remember I've been in a seminary that was very hard on anything that was because so even what I was doing wanting to be a a philosophy religion professor that held to the view of Christianity and wanted to discuss those ideas to them that was even sort of selling out Mm. so I, I think in reflection I think there was a lot of toxic views that I got that got put into my brain early on in my seminary unfortunately but
0: was it kind of this idea of anything that is not ministry is not holy is that kind of yeah yeah I think so and I
1: think they had a very strong view of church the church structure and it was a Presbyterian seminary so they believe very highly in the like local church, the session, then the presbytery, then the general assembly, and like, that there was a very secure, strong, almost like power structure in the church. And I was still, I guess, a relatively new Christian. That that made a lot of sense to me. I had to really search for like, what is right. I went through at so many church confessions, so many statements of faith, and like, really wanting to know, what do I believe? And Then I found this group that I agreed with a lot. And then they're like, oh yeah, this is the way the church should be structured and you shouldn't, you know, go outside the church basically. So yeah, obviously some remaining baggage from that. So then when this guy who belonged to the denomination I belonged to and was a pastor, although mind you, a campus minister, so he was sort of working outside the, outside the sandbox. And then he goes, Oh, yeah, no, we need people way outside the sandbox, like, Mm. that aren't even on the map here. And it was like, Oh, my gosh, because that's what I want to do. And Mm -hmm. you're you're telling me that that's okay. Like, I mean, it sounds silly now. I mean, I think most people would go, of course, like, why? Why would you let the church dictate that much of your life? But I did. And Mm -hmm. it was good in some ways. And I think there was also some bad ways. And I think it takes a lot of maturity to be a Christian artist because you're toying with really big ideas and you aren't aren't vetting them. So it's a big responsibility. And I think I appreciated sort of the smallness and protection of people guarding my ideas, Uh, which is sad, which is sad now, but, uh, but yes. So, so when he said that my entire paradigm shifted and that's when I was like, Oh, I'm not going to keep doing schooling that I hate and I'm bad at Mm -hmm. to keep me from a thing that I really love doing. And ended up leading me here and so mm-hmm. um, yeah so I'm very happy to be working in the arts now as a Christian and so where how my faith shows up it's a good question I actually when I listened to your podcast the bad bad faith I think it was called bad, bad art, art yeah bad art. Mm-hmm. um it was I think I think you really put it into perspective how you defined it as or at least one really good criteria is telling human stories truthfully or however your exact formulation was but I thought that I think that's really profound because I have some projects that have been like the one that you read was about a radical conversion story but you know obviously that's sort of like Christianity's sort of tried and true cliche in the story business which I think is trite but there's a place there's a place for it if it's done well and I was trying Mm -hmm. to do it well but and it's the true story And it's a true story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a project on Beethoven. It's going to be a very light touch about God because Beethoven does talk about God. In fact, the Mm -hmm. Ninth Symphony is about, one of the lyrics is, surely there is a loving father above the star canopy. In German, it maybe sounded a little less clunky, but that's one of the lyrics of the Ninth Symphony. And so he's trying to convince the world that God exists and that he's good. And joy is a proof of the goodness of God. So I have to, I feel compelled to touch there, but I know a lot of people in Beethoven scholarship because a lot of the stuff I read, they don't really like talking about his Christianity, Mm. but he, and it maybe it was not as traditional Christianity as you would think, it's not as personal Christianity, but he definitely believed in some form of Christianity. And in fact, on his deathbed took last rites from the Catholic church, which is interesting. So I have to do a very light touch there, but I, to me, God is the most interesting thing to talk about in stories. That's my feeling because Mm -hmm. I, I think I wrestle with God a lot. I think any person who has real faith wrestles with God a lot. So I like writing about that because that's the deepest stuff of my heart. That's the stuff I care about the the most, but I also have other projects. I have a project right now that's that I'm trying to uh, sell. That is an animated series about the basically technology in the future going from being our servants to being our masters. And instead of getting rid of humans, they make us their pets. And so we become <laughs> pets to robots. So, you know, there's nothing really about God in there, but it's a it's a true story about a perhaps real fear as technology takes over our lives more and more. Mm-hmm. I have another one that I'm co-writing with a woman who suffered from OCD. And I don't have OCD, but I could relate so much because at the base OCD is basically fears, fears running through a creative mind that's Mm. what OCD is and it's one particular manifestation of that and so i could relate to that so it's about the group therapy that is going on there and her just really crazy experiences because she had a very weird teacher who believed in exposure therapy which is that you do the most extreme version of turning into your fear and actually just doing the thing you're most afraid of and like confronting it head-on but in like really wacky unusual ways and so you know we're, we're uh, working on that together and we're trying to sell that yeah so I have a variety of like weird things that are sort of all over the place some tv some mm. movie some drama some comedy some dark comedy some animation I like it all and I appreciate writers that can do that I mean obviously the most classical example is Shakespeare but you know he he both <laughs> he he was a master of both the masks and I think in some small way I'm trying to do that too
0: what I'm struck by your story is how dramatic it is it's like that has all these it's like a i mean it's a real story it has like all (laughs) these like you know like climactic events i guess that have like changed direction for you um and it kind of seems like that kind of takes place in in your your work a little bit it's like its own its own dramatic story and then it's really
1: funny because oh sorry go ahead you, you have
0: more <laughs> no go ahead comment on that
1: of i
2: the other i was way. just gonna
1: say like it's interesting because when you're living it you don't think that it's exactly that dramatic. so it's interesting exactly. to hear that like your take on that and i guess maybe that makes a little sense of why like i've been moving more towards movies because movies unlike television television typically although it's sort of like morphed a little bit but Typically in television, you want your characters and conflicts to not change
2: Mm -hmm. or
1: to change minimally. And you just want to see those same characters confront new scenarios. In movies, you want, it's all about change. The currency Mm -hmm. of a movie is change, whether for good or for bad. So that's kind of interesting, that maybe like in some some subconscious way, the variety of changing has has brought me more into movies. Because one good way that I, I heard movies described is, It's poetry, not with words, but with turns and Mm -hmm. that it's the turns of the arc of the story that actually is the sort of embedded poetry. That's the currency of a good story. uh, Absolutely. And so that's kind of funny that that's your perspective of, because for me, it's just life. That's just.
0: Exactly. And I think that that's how faith often shows up for an artist who is not strictly like a worship music writer or you know someone who works very strictly in uh, a quote Christian genre vein it is in the subtlety it is in the subconscious and in and the things that we're not specifically controlling like I'm not you know forcing God into this Beethoven story God's already there, you know, and Mm -hmm. even just in something with like OCD and just like how the subconscious works in, in a, in an OCD situation and just humanity and revealing the side of humanity. And then, you know, you're revealing side of humanity and if we believe that humans are created in the image of God, then every expression of humanity is, is revealing something about this higher power if we if we believe in
1: one. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And then when you were talking about the church situation of how this person was kind of pushing you outside the sandbox, as you called it with the, with the church mentality of like only, only bees are the, 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 the good, you know, Christian jobs or these, you know, preacher jobs and, and how you felt comfortable in that, even though you didn't want to do it and how that's so much of us is just like, I don't like this, but it's familiar, it's safe. Someone else is taking the risk on my behalf, so I don't have to take that risk. And so then to like take this very risky step outside of that, and then that's what artists do. Like we take risks and show other people the way through those risks. And that is, but yeah, but then It's, it takes those people outside of the sandbox to kind of show us, okay, we don't have to stay, stay in this box, we we can move beyond this. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, well, uh, thanks, I I, I agree with all that. (laughs) Um, And in fact, you know, to maybe strain an analogy further, um, it's pushing someone out of the side of the sandbox and the artist goes outside of the sandbox where all the other people are safely contained and goes, okay, I'm gonna walk through the desert and I'll tell you what it's like. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then that, that sort of like, you're already in the sand. I can relate to the sand, but here's like, it can be much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's why evangelism can, can rub me the wrong way or trying to put evangelism into, especially Christian movies. They're the worst about it. Um, Uh it, Uh Is it so, is it so reductive? It reduces humanity to can you check this beside your name? Mm. And it's saying, and it basically says, that's the only experience that matters. Mm -hmm. And granted, knowing God, I would argue is the most important thing in someone's life, but it's not the only thing in someone's life. And to switch that and to, and to put that sort of on someone that you can't really talk about anything, but you converting and becoming a Christian is, is to do injustice to, I think God's full world that he's made. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, The it's... world would
1: be very different if it was meant to be a single question test and it was a yes or no, pass, fail, and you were to get to it as quickly as possible. Life would be a very different journey, but also the Bible would look very different.
2: You mm-hmm. know, like
1: the Old Testament stories are so helpful to a Christian storyteller because they are not these neat little
0: Absolutely you know, conversion
1: stories or going beyond that, like these neat little morality tales. And that that tends to be the two camps that Christian storytelling falls into as a conversion story or a morality tale. And they can be, they can be those, and those can be very good if they're done well, but they're also usually not done well. It's reductive of people and their interests Mm -hmm. and so many aspects of life to say, we don't really want to talk about that or explore that or, or even be challenged in our morality.
2: Mm -hmm. We want,
1: you know, and and that can become very pharisaical very quickly. Absolutely. My, our morality matters the most, and what we need to do is culturally dominate other people, force our morality down their throat, and turn them into little Pharisees like we are. That that's a that's a real problem. It's a it's
0: a it's a safe safe black and white approach, but but yeah, like you said, it's not all there is. I think that art helped me fall in love with the Bible. I think that absolutely once I started. Just like really writing and learning story and story form, and then I started reading the Bible as an artist. I was like, "This is an incredible story! Like, Absolutely. like talk about drama! <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: <laughs> like, uh, twists, turns, n- very little is is shorn up, you know, tightly, neatly, prettily. Incredible characters, dynamic characters." characters unlikable vi- yeah villains that you're not sure if they're the villain or the good guy, you know like yeah just yeah and so complicated, so complex. yeah, so to approach to approach the Bible as an artist more so than a theologian has made me love the m- love the Bible more so than if I had been you know just reading it for the academic purposes. And, oh, absolutely. And, and I'm sure absolutely. that's heretical in some circles. Oh. So what, final final fun question for you a book movie song or tv show that is meaningful to you right now it can be anything
1: okay maybe i'll talk about my favorite movie because i think it's sort of like an undiscovered gem so a lot of people know about it and it did well in like the awards but it's back it was made in 1984 and it's called amadeus And that is my favorite movie. I would also sort of describe it as the best sermon I've ever heard. Hmm. And the basic movie is about, you know, obviously you're going to see a connection here because it's my favorite movie, but it's about Mozart. (laughs)
2: Hmm. So, um, uh,
1: and but it's about this rivalry, sort of made up. It's a, it's sort of a fixed, highly fictionalized historical biopic about Mozart and his rivalry with Solieri. And it was a one-way rivalry. Mozart didn't realize that he didn't dislike Salieri, but Salieri hated Mozart because Mozart mm-hmm. was gifted. But Salieri thought he was more devout and he deserved the higher blessing because of that. Whoa. And, yeah. And so the theme of the movie, as best I understand it, is that I think I, you could boil it down and saying because uh, Mozart is this very immature, very pompous, Knows he's talented, loves showing off, he's very vain. Uh, and Solieri is this very like, you know, quiet, has, seemingly has a lot of piety. But the way I understand it is that pride is bad, but spiritual pride is worse.
2: And that's mm-hmm. the theme
1: of the movie. Ironically written by an atheist, um, but one of the most insightfully spiritual movies I've ever seen, or anything I've ever seen. It's like slipped through the cracks because it's very profound Christian art, in my opinion.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think it's something that every Christian can relate to, which is if I'm faithful to God, he's going to bless me.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: and when you start realizing maybe you don't get the blessing, then you start, instead of questioning that assumption, you start questioning God. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing. Like when life, when life starts to turn, as it inevitably will, and failure sets set in. Do you go, oh, maybe I'm relying too much on God to be like my little personal genie and give me success? Or do I realize like no God is faithful even through the failures? And mm. that that's, I think, a really profound question.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen it. I don't think so. I need to.
1: Yeah. That's I why I asked the question because I'm just like,
0: yeah. I just look up, up for recommendations.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And as like um, a little
1: side note, um, there are two versions there's the short theatrical version and the longer director's version i actually this is one of the situations where i recommend the shorter theatrical version i think right. it's a little bit tighter i think it makes a little bit more sense so i recommend the regular version
0: well cool yeah well, thanks thanks tyler yeah,
1: of course yeah so thank fun you, all well, right good to thanks talk
0: with again you. Yeah, i will talk welcome. to you soon all right okay bye. sounds good if you would like to support this podcast and the work of Tears of Eden, please take a moment to visit tearsofeden.org support. Thanks so much for listening today. So glad that you joined us and we'll see you again at the next episode.